0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. And amen. Good morning. Uh, Please be taking out your Bibles to uh, the book of Colossians. And we are wrapping up our authentic series today. But first, I want to show you guys something. So we told you at the tailgate, you know, when we played Henderson, that following Sunday, the team that loses, their pastor has to get up and wear the shirt of the other team, which is bad enough. So I went and I got a shirt, y'all just a normal gray shirt. Uh, But then I gave it to Hannah to do some, uh, a little fixing up. And so when we win, this is the shirt that Jacob's going to have to wear the following Sunday, that's right. So thank you, Hannah. Guys, we need you to come cheer on the Wildcats, because I can promise you, he's been doing something similar. So uh, if I look like a clown the following Sunday, uh, just know we all played a part in that. Okay. Uh, well, hey, we're excited about that. I want to show you here, I got two, couple, two cups of water, and this cup is just the normal water that we get out from our uh, drinking fountain back there, the, the filtered, it's called Primo Water, right? <laughs> The best Primo has to offer, or as the water boy said it, some hot quality H2O right here. Man, on a hot day or even as the temperature rises in our sanctuary here, refreshing. Everyone would love to drink this water. So if I went up to you and said, hey, would you like a cup of fresh cold water? Probably all of you would say, absolutely yes. I got another cup here. Now, if I went up to all of you and said, hey, would you like this cup? You'd probably all say no. That's ridiculous, Clint. Now, what if I said, okay, no problem. What if I just pour this cup into this cup? Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. At that point, is anyone going to want this cup of water? No, of course not. What if I just said just a little bit, though? Just a little bit. I mean, it's still mostly the primo water. That's mostly what it is. Or what if I said, tell you what, I'll just pour some of this into this cup. And so, yeah, this is dirt, but it does have the pure water in it. So why don't you want this cup? Because it's, it's gross. That well said. Y'all, we've been talking about authentic, authenticity. And authenticity, it has, uh, one of the things it means is purity. It's not mixed with lots of other things. And the core problem with most people is that it's not that we outright reject the authentic biblical version. It's that we want to mix in just a little bit, just a little bit of something else. But even just a limp, a little bit contaminates the pure thing, doesn't it? So today we want to find the authentic, pure version of discipleship. And I would be willing to bet that most of us here, most people in here don't outright reject the idea of Christian discipleship. We just mix it with other things, whether that's what the culture says or the way we were raised and, you know, that's how we always done it, or maybe just our own personal desires. Now, that word discipleship, that can be kind of Christianese. And so, what does that mean? What is discipleship? Well, we're already at our big idea for the day. Here's our big idea for the sermon. Here's what discipleship is. Discipleship is the pursuit of a vision. That's all it is. Discipleship is the pursuit of a vision for your life. And if that's true, that means everyone is a disciple. Every single person is a disciple of something because every one of us us, has this picture in our minds of what we should be as a parent. As a child, uh, as an employee, or even just as a person, and that vision, what, that picture we have in our mind—that's that's what is dictating what's on your calendar, how you're spending your money, why you feel great about yourself at sometimes and terrible about yourself at other times. And so you see, you and I—we don't—we don't get to choose if we pursue a vision for our life. We all do, but you do get to choose which vision you pursue with your life. And let me tell you, our goal today, here's our goal today, here's our purpose, is that we would all leave here picking the right vision that we pursue with our lives. That's what we want to leave here with. Because I tell you what, here's the disease of our culture. Man, if you want, if you want to get your life, your life to get all kind of confusing, overwhelming, unsatisfying, burdensome, just try to mix multiple visions of your life all together and keep them all compatible. It'll never happen. In fact, a few weeks ago, I shared with you some research that people are calling the great de in America. So, all kind of scientific research says more people have left the church in today where we're living now than any other time in our country. In an article in The Atlantic, a a guy named Jake Meadow wrote, wrote an article called The Misunderstood Reason Millions of America's, Americans Stop Going to Church. And he does a great job of breaking down all the research because it does get nerdy and geeky. But I think also his explanation of why this is happening is right on. Because you know what he says? He says it's not because, you know, we're too busy or too anything. He says it's because we are mixing different visions for our life with the Christian vision for our life and to trying to keep it all in the air at the same time. He writes this. The underlying challenge for many is that their lives are stretched like a rubber band about to snap. And church attendance ends up feeling like an item on a checklist that's already too long. The problem in front of us is not that we have a healthy, sustainable society that simply doesn't have room for church. The problem is that many Americans have adopted a way of life that has left us lonely, anxious, and uncertain of how to live in a community with other people. Too often the American church has not been a community that through its preaching and living bears witness to another way to live. The difficulty is that many of the wounds and aches provoked by our current order are resolved only by changing one's life. By becoming a radically different sort of person, belonging to a radically different sort of community. In the gospel, Jesus tells his first disciples to leave their old way of life behind, going so far as abandoning their plow or fishing nets where they are, and if necessary, even leaving behind their parents. A church that doesn't expect at least this much from one another isn't really a church in the way Jesus spoke about it. You know what he's saying? He's saying our core issue is the way of life that we've adopted, it's the vision we're pursuing. And so, most of us say, what we say is we're too busy, but y'all, that's just a symptom. The core issue is we are pursuing a different vision for our lives that are no longer compatible with Christian discipleship. And the role of the church, he's saying, is to call people to a better vision to call all of us to become a different sort of person, to become an authentic disciple, just like he did with Peter, James, and John, and all of those original disciples. So today, we're going to read from Paul, one of those disciples, and we're going to find out from Paul what pure, authentic discipleship looks like. So let's open up the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 24 he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church. Okay, so let's pause there because right off the bat, Paul has said two phrases that sound completely insane. And so we should signal, we should should notice right off the bat, man, this Paul guy has a very different vision for his life that he's pursuing than most people I know. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my, I find joy in life through my sufferings. Now, that's completely backwards for most people. Most of us, we work really hard to subtract as much suffering from our life, don't we, as we can, and add as much things like comfort, ease, excitement, fun. That's what I'm trying to add to my life because we think that'll bring us joy. But the Bible says Christians, an authentic Christian disciple has a very different relationship with suffering. Do you notice? You notice how he said his suffering is essential to his joy. So he doesn't say I have joy alongside suffering. So yeah, there's suffering, but thank the Lord there's also some joy over here, you know, and we just, they just kind of coexist parallel together. No, no, no. He says he rejoices in the suffering. I, I wouldn't have the joy without the suffering. The suffering is an essential ingredient to the joy, is what he's saying. What? You know, that, that defies all of my common sense. I don't know about you. What, what kind of joy has suffering as an essential ingredient? Well, I think it's the joy of pursuing the right vision with your life. It's the joy of authentic discipleship. See, he's saying there's something about authentic discipleship that rejoices in suffering. And the next three words tell us how. He says, for your sake. This is so important. Y'all see, Paul, he's not just finding joy in any and all suffering. It is suffering with a specific purpose. Because y'all, many people are willing to suffer to gain something for themselves, right? I mean, every day there's people willing to inflict more pain and suffering on themselves than I will ever be just to be rich, just to have the perfect body, or even to, follow, even to follow their religion. So there's all kind of Buddhists and Hindus that inflict on themselves all kind of bodily harm and suffering to, because uh, they think the self-denial accomplishes for them the vision that their religion has for their life. It's like we said, right? Everybody is a disciple of something, right? And whether we're disciples of Buddha or money or our corporate ladder or the American dream, whatever it is, almost all of us are willing to sacrifice to achieve that for ourselves. And to that, I think Paul looks at us and says, hey, great job at the wrong vision. You've got the wrong vision for your life. That vision will actually, even if you suffer for it, will never bring you joy. It will never be a joy-inducing vision. The vision Paul is pursuing is servant suffering. It finds joy in suffering for your sake, joy in suffering for others. Now, where would Paul get a vision for his life like that? Isaiah 53 prophesies about someone who would come who would be the suffering servant. He would come and he would finally make peace between God and man through his suffering. His sufferings would bring us forgiveness They would forgive our sins. His sufferings would bring us eternal life. So Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. And seven times, seven times your New Testament says, Isaiah 53, that suffering servant, that is about Jesus. Jesus is that suffering servant. His suffering and his death is for you. It heals you. It forgives you. It gives you peace with God. Now, why? Why would Jesus be willing to do that? Why would he be willing to be the suffering servant? Well, Hebrews tells us joy. 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 For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross because he knew, he knew it would bring peace with God to me and you. So when Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, y'all, he didn't come up with that. He didn't make that up. He's saying the vision for my life isn't some stuff, it's not an idea, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. He is the vision I am pursuing with my life. So that's the first thing we learn about authentic discipleship. Authentic discipleship is pursuing Jesus. Period. Alone. End of sentence. Nothing else in the cup. Not Jesus and anything else. He's the suffering servant. And so the vision of my life is servant suffering. See, a disciple doesn't just thank Jesus for his work. A disciple repeats it. What Jesus did, I do. And then we get to the second phrase that sounds crazy. He says, I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It sounds kind of weird to say that Christ was lacking something in any way. So what does he mean? We got to know what he doesn't mean and what he means. So that word affliction, it appears about 45 times in the New Testament it never is talking about the cross, the crucifixion. So, he's not talking about the atoning work of Christ. Christ has done all that's necessary to redeem us. Nothing more needs to be done. It is finished, and you and I cannot add to it no matter how much we do or suffer, okay? Every time that word is used, it's used for things like imprisonment, persecution, public shaming. It's all the things that... Christians experience and they suffer for pursuing Jesus in a world where other people are pursuing different visions for their life. And so, you could almost translate it to mean continuation. So, servant suffering didn't stop when Jesus ascended, men and women. It continues through us. And so, that's the second thing we learn about authentic discipleship. Authentic discipleship is pursuing Jesus's method It's pursuing Jesus and pursuing his method. It's living like Jesus, if Jesus were standing in my shoes. His method was servant suffering, and so that's going to be my method. Didn't Jesus tell us all? Didn't he tell everybody, pick up your cross and follow me? Don't try to follow me empty-handed. There's a cross for you too. You know, I was having lunch with someone in this church, and I just couldn't say it any better than they said it. They said, I just want to do it the way Jesus would do it. Well, this is how Jesus would do it. Servant suffering. But I want you to notice something else. Notice something else. These afflictions, they have a purpose. Just like the joy had a purpose, or the suffering had a purpose. That purpose was joy. There's a purpose for the afflictions. There's a mission attached to it. What is it? the church. He says these afflictions are for the church. And he spends the next few few verses telling us about this beautiful thing called the church. So let's pick it up in verse 25. He says, "...of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the next thing we find out about authentic discipleship is this. Authentic discipleship is pursuing Jesus's method and his mission his mission was the church and so is mine. He uses this word mystery a couple times. And understand when he says mystery, he's not talking about uh, some kind of riddle. Okay. This isn't, we're not like all in what's that movie, National Treasure. We're not all all like Nicolas Cage in National Treasure. Got to figure out all these puzzles. No, no, no. Mystery here just means something that was previously concealed. So previously, before this time, even if you wanted to figure it out, you couldn't because God hadn't revealed it yet. But now, after Jesus, it's revealed and it's plain. Y'all, thank the Lord. It is on the bottom shelf. Even the dumbest among us can figure it out. It's clear. It's plain. God has revealed it, you see. And that thing is the church. He says the same thing in Ephesians. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation, all united under one head Christ. That's the mystery that's now been revealed. And he says the mystery is Christ in you. And that you is plural. So he's saying Christ in all y'all. You know, in previous times in the Old Testament, God dwelt in the inner part of the temple. And only one guy once a year could go be in God's presence. Well, Jesus' mission was to no longer dwell in a building where one guy once a year could go in but to dwell in all y'all. Christ now dwells in us together, everywhere. And he says, this is the hope of glory. Now, glory was a, it's a big deal throughout the Bible. You may remember in the Old Testament, Moses had to hide from God's glory. He had to turn his back for fear of being destroyed by it. But now, because of Jesus' mission, watch this, because Christ in all y'all, little pieces of God's glory are scattered throughout the earth, throughout the entire world. Jesus' mission was to fill the earth with his glory through his people. That's why he calls the church his body. So, question. After the ascension, after Jesus rose back into heaven... Did Jesus continue to dwell bodily on the earth? You better believe it, just in a different way. But through his church, we are the body of Christ. Until Jesus returns, we are Jesus' hands and feet in this world. And so if the mission of Jesus was to create the church, what is the mission of every authentic disciple? The church, his body and his bride. That's why verse 25, Paul gives us his job title. He says, this is what I am. I am a minister of the gospel. Now, minister, again, can sound Christianese. It just means servant. I'm a servant of the body of Christ. That's all that he's saying. That's who I am. That's the vision for my life. That's why he identifies himself as a steward. We know this. A steward is not an owner. A steward is not master and commander of his own ship, is he? he gives us the best, this is the best definition of stewardship is found in in this passage. He says, everything is from God to me for you. That's stewardship. My whole life, everything I have, it's all from God to me for you. That is a joy inducing vision for your life. And listen, if you don't believe me, please please test God on this because I know it can butt up against our common sense. It absolutely is at war with what our culture says, but test me on this. I would be willing to bet the most joyful people you know are the ones who see themselves as stewards, who see everything in their life as coming from God to them for you. Now, they may not uh, have the most money. They might not have the easiest life. In fact, I would be willing to bet they've suffered a lot, but I guarantee you they have the most joy. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying every believer is a servant and a steward of the mission of Jesus Christ. That's why he says in verse 28, him we proclaim, not I. He didn't say, it's just me proclaiming this. He's saying it's the mission of every disciple. Did you know in this book, in the book of Colossians, which is just, I think, 95 verses, he lists a full dozen people by name who are also carrying this mission with him. See, Paul, Paul, he wasn't some, you know, Superman who spread the church while everyone else just consumed his ministry. The church spread as every authentic disciple pursued Jesus's method and mission as this became their vision for their life. Now, many of them, they had to lay down fishing nets. They had to give up their careers. Most had to give up some personal rights and any social capital that they had built up over the years. Some had to just stay, stay in difficult situations they were in, but use them for God's glory. But all, all had to learn servant suffering. They followed Jesus into becoming different kinds of people. That's what every authentic disciple has to do. That's what Paul summarizes in verse 28. He says his his mission is to present everyone mature in Christ. Now this word present, y'all, this is amazing to me. This is amazing to think about. If you back up just a few verses, back up to verse 22, that same word is used for Jesus. It says Jesus presents you before the Father, holy, blameless, above reproach. And so this is how it works. Jesus presented me before the Father, and now He uses me to present others. What Jesus did in me, He now does through me. That is authentic discipleship. Listen, and this is the mark of everyone, everyone who follows Jesus, every authentic disciple. You can see they can't wait to see Jesus repeat His redemptive work in other people. Nobody just says, oh, thanks, Jesus, thanks, that's great for me, and I'm going to let it just stop with me. No, no, no. There is joy when you get to be a part of God's mission and God's work in the world. And we keep doing that, he says, to present everyone, everyone mature. That word mature, it means whole, it means complete, it means grown up. Now, y'all, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I love babies, Babies are great. Nothing is cuter than a baby. But when adults act like babies, it's not really cute anymore, is it? It's kind of sad. Y'all stop looking at each other, okay? What if we did, what if we did this one Sunday? We had Baby Sunday. And we decided to all show up dressed and acting like we were when we were babies. So we all got the onesies on. You know, mine's got a sailboat. You know, Scott's over there. He's got the dinosaur onesie. We're all doing that. We got to wear the little gloves on our hand because we can't control our hands and we scratch ourselves on the face. That's not going to be cute, y'all. That is going to be sad and frankly kind of (laughs) gross. And no one, no one would say, That's the vision I want for my life. That's the vision I'm pursuing with my life. Yet, isn't it true that we can sometimes act in our culture, in this world, we can sometimes act like our purpose in the church is only to create spiritual babies instead of mature, adult, authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. Instead of calling people to a different way to live. And it's true. Listen, it is possible in our day and age, in our culture, it is possible to sit in church your whole life with no higher vision than for other people to keep feeding you and changing your diaper. And y'all, that would be easy for sure. It would be comfortable, but it is not authentic discipleship and you will not find the joy that Paul is talking about. Paul shows us, he shows us here how we become a church that grows mature disciples. And the key is found in whose maturity he is working for. There's only one person's maturity he left out, his own. Paul's vision, it includes him, sure, but it's not simply his own personal maturity. It's about maturing the whole body of Christ. See, there's an irony. There's a real irony when it comes to spiritual maturity. If your spiritual maturity is only about you, you'll never reach maturity. And that's the way a body works, isn't it? A body, the way a body works is every part matures together. Each part contributes to the maturity of others. And so for many, what is needed as they sit in the pews in churches is to look to the left, Look to the right. You can even do a 360 like Steve showed us. And ask yourself, how can I pursue Jesus' method and mission in the people around me? Even over and above my own. What can I do to present them mature in Christ? You know, one of my favorite mission trips I've ever been on is we take a trip to Nicaragua once a year. And you go to this island called Ometepe Island, and you're there to train pastors. And y'all, pastor, don't think pastor around here. Most of these are poor farmers. And they got the job as pastor probably because they're one of the few who could read, and they were willing. And they have no access to any theological training whatsoever. And men and women, I wish you could see it. A room, not even a room, you got a roof over your head, but it's open air filled with people on the edge of their seat, eager, excited, even desperate to learn God's word. But it's not just for themselves. It's not their own personal sanctification that they're most concerned with. It's so that they can take that and they can mature the whole body of the church they're pastoring. Y'all, it is awe-inspiring to see. And by the way, Will Klotz, is going to be representing our campus on the next Nicaragua trip. When do y'all leave? October? Coming soon in October. He didn't ask me to do that. He didn't know I was going to do this, but man, wouldn't it be great if by the time he left church today, his fundraising was taken care of? Man, maybe that's a way we can all together work to mature part of the whole body of Christ. Authentic discipleship. It's pursuing Jesus' method and mission with your life. It means servant suffering for the building up of the body of Christ. Now that is a different vision for your life than the world will give you. You'll be weird. It's an intimidating vision. It's a risky vision. No doubt about it. Oh, but it's a vision that will bring you joy. It will make you rejoice just like it did Paul. In his book, Surprised by hope, I think N.T. Wright paints a picture of the beauty of what comes as a result of authentic discipleship. He says this, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day we leave it all behind, as the hymn mistakenly puts it. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. When you become an authentic disciple, your present will last into God's future. Now, the world can't promise anything like that. Yes, it'll cost me. Yes, I have to die to myself. I have to think of myself less. But y'all, it's like paying a dollar for the winning Powerball ticket. It's worth it. It's worth it. There's one last thing. It's one last thing we have to remember if we are going to become authentic disciples. It's this. Authentic discipleship is pursuing Jesus' method and mission with his power. With His power. Verse 29, he says this. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This wording of toil and struggling, that doesn't sound fun, but notice he says with his energy. Paul is telling us, he's telling you and me, authentic discipleship requires more than you can provide. You don't have by yourself in you what it takes. You know, last Christmas we bought my son, Caleb, a scooter. Man, a scooter's great. You know, you got wheels, you just kick the ground and it takes you where you want to go. It's wonderful. We have a very hilly neighborhood, y'all. You get on some of these big hills, man, by the time you get halfway up the hill, you are so tired of kicking that ground. You don't have any energy left. You can't keep going. And you're, you're going about as fast as a turtle with four broken legs. That's about all you can muster. You know, and that's how many of you come in here today. You've been working real hard at being a disciple under your own power. And man, you hit those hills. You make it about halfway up, sickness, suffering, difficult relationship, all the demands of life, and you're exhausted. And maybe you're wondering if this discipleship thing is the right vision for your life. Let me tell you something. There's something special about that scooter. See, that scooter has a battery inside of it. And so that means you don't have to use your energy. You can use its energy. Caleb, show us how it's done. Now that looks a lot more fun, doesn't it? Authentic discipleship is pursuing Jesus' method and mission, but it's with his energy. And that means every person here has to start from a place of faith and dependence. Listen, you can't present yourself before the Father, holy, pure, blameless. You depend on Jesus. And based on his life and his death for your sins, he takes care of it. He presents you for the Father. So that's how we start with faith and dependence. But you know how we continue? With faith and dependence. We continue just like we started. You don't dare separate yourself for one second from his word, from his Holy Spirit, or from his people because you depend on his energy. And so I ask you this morning, same, same thing I've asked at the end of every sermon in this series, what is your next step toward authenticity? What is your next step towards the pure, real thing? Maybe you've got some purifying work to do. You realize there's some things in this cup in your vision for life other than Jesus and you need to get rid of it. Maybe it's that you need to pursue the mission of Jesus, not the mission of 2.5 kids, be as comfortable as you can be, travel when you retire. No, 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 God's put you here, you realize, this morning to build the church so that your present can last into his future to be used by God to present others to him. So what would it look like? What would it look like tomorrow if the things God did in you, you let God do through you? Pursue that vision with your life. Maybe you need to pursue the method of Jesus, the method of servant suffering. You've been willing to follow Jesus as long as the cost isn't too high, as long as it doesn't get too uncomfortable. What would it look like tomorrow if you said, I'm going to take joy in suffering for others? men and women pursue that vision with your life. Or maybe you're here this morning and you need to depend on his energy. You've been trying real hard to be a good person on your own. Listen, if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, your first step is to believe the gospel, that you can never get to God on your own energy. You got to depend on what Jesus has done for you simply by believing. Or maybe you're a believer and you've been, you're here and you've been confused as to why there doesn't seem to be the energy in you, in your spiritual life. And it's because you're like a lamp that's been unplugged. What would it look like this week to plug back into his energy? Let me tell you, God tells us plainly what those sockets are we can plug into. It is his word, his spirit, and his people.